Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. on a series we're doing called The Comeback. Y'all enjoyed this so far? Amen? Uh, so uh, last week we talked about the key um, to, uh, to your comeback uh, is really repentance. And, and this will be a little bit of a, um, um, I guess, a second part of that because there's something that also goes along with your repentance that you, that you really need. And I want to normalize the word repentance. I want repentance to come out of the the, the dirty word category into a word that we love to hear. And you say, how, how in the world could we ever love to hear the word repentance? Well, if you understood what lies on the other side of your repentance, it wouldn't be a bad word. It'd be a good word. Amen? Because it's restoration. It really is restoration to come back to the place uh, that, that we know we need to be with God. And, uh, and our, our, our big main theme here has been about Peter. If you haven't been here, I encourage you to go back to our podcast or go back to our live stream and and watch the other two parts because it might make a little bit more sense to you, but I believe that you'll get something out of it this morning anyway. Um, but uh, as I was praying over this, uh, this third part, um, I heard the Lord just tell me, he said, you know, your comeback is always for a purpose greater than you. If, you, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write that down. Your comeback is always for a purpose greater than you. See, a lot of times we're just so us focused that, that it's hard for us to see that on the other side of us, getting back into that place with God that, that, that we need to be, it's, it's for a greater purpose other than just for ourselves. Most of the time, when we find ourselves in a place of needing a comeback in our life, and we've all been there, if we're not there right now, we've all been in that place, and if we've not been in that place and we're not in that place right now, I guarantee you at some point in your life, you're going to have a time or you need to come back, whether that is a, a, um, a public failure in your life or just knowing. You know, I, I've had a lot of failures in my life that weren't public, but it didn't mean that I didn't need to have a comeback in my life. Amen? I've had a lot of times where I just knew. Now, on the outside or to other people, even if I was to describe to them where I was at in my life, people go, oh, you know, that, that's nothing. Let me tell you about me. Well, it doesn't matter. Uh, this isn't a contest. What matters is knowing in your heart that you're not in the place that you need to be with God and not, and not doing the thing that you know you're supposed to be doing. And, and you can get in a place of being stuck and you can get in a place where you just continually try the same thing over and over and you can't figure out why in the world it is the way it is. And it's because of what you are doing and the place that you're at and you have to stop and you have to say, this is not working. Amen. There's some things that may take a while to work while you're standing in faith and standing on the Word of God. That's not what I'm talking about because if you're standing in faith and you're standing on the Word of God but you're just in that waiting season, you're in a season of faith and you're following God's Word and you're following His leading and His direction. So if it's not working at that particular time, then yes, I think that you stay the course until God tells you otherwise. But I'm talking about when you know that you know you are not following, you are not actively following the will of God. You're not actively standing on a word from God and things are not rolling and things are not going. Guess what? It's time to change what we're doing. Amen? Is that okay? 
But so many people, you ever heard somebody tell you their problem, like all their problems? Anybody ever had somebody tell you all their problems? And, and I'm a, sympath- a sympathetic person, so I will listen. But here's the other thing about me, not only because probably I'm a man, but also because I'm a pastor and a lot of my mind is always geared to helping people. And so when someone's telling me their problem, I automatically begin to allow the Holy Spirit to go and search for scripture that's on the inside of me that they need or direction that they need or, hey, let me tell you about this. But have you ever been listening to someone give you their problem and then as you begin to try to help them with their problem, you quickly understand they didn't want to help out of their problem. They just wanted to complain about their problem. They didn't want to do anything to get out of their problem. They just want to complain about the problem that they're in, right? And that's what happens a lot of times. People will say, well, this and that and this and that. And then you say, oh, that, I mean, you're in it. It's hard to see how to fix it when you're in it, but someone who's outside of it looking in saying, oh, no, that's a, that's a real easy fix. But then what you don't realize is, is there's so much, um, there's, there, there's, there's so much familiarity um, uh, connected to their problem that they know there's some parts of their problem that they really kind of enjoy, but, uh, but, but they don't really want the results of enjoying that problem, what that brings. I'm making any kind of sense whatsoever. They enjoy parts of what's causing their problem enough to where they're really not willing to do what it takes to get out of their problem because they might miss some of the stuff that they like about their problem. And so that's when you have to get really, really honest with yourself. And that's when you have to get really, uh, really proactive about saying, I'm going to get out of this mess. And so anyway, most of the time when we find ourselves in a place of needing a comeback, it's been after a season. I'll take this. Uh, I, I, will, I am going to say something a little hard. But most of the time, when we find ourselves in a place of needing a comeback, a place of misery like we talked about Peter was in, it's usually been after a season, if you'll be honest with yourself, of selfish ambition. It's usually been after a season of selfish ambition. Philippians, uh, Paul told the Philippians in the second chapter, this is Philippians 2, 1 through 4, this is what he said. He said, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, Watch this, verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. God doesn't put you, don't you understand this? God does never and will never put you in a miserable place because of your disobedience and selfishness. You know, we, I, I know that I kind of grew up with an idea that when I don't do right, God punishes me by putting me in a place of, of misery or putting me in a place where just nothing... You ever been in a place where it just doesn't say... It seems like everything that could go wrong did go wrong? And I mean, it was like no matter what you touched, it broke, you lost it, someone stole it. You know, something just continually happened. There's just no blessing on anything that you touch. 
And you might not compute it that, that way. You, know, you may not put the, put the pieces of the puzzle together, but a lot of times when that would be happening to me, I would automatically, and I know it was the enemy, I know it was the devil, he would automatically point his finger at God. So I'll give you an example. I knew that um, you know, when I was a teenager, I just really began to serve God, but I also was still struggling with, with who I used to be and still struggling with the things I used to do and the people that I used to be around and all those different things. And, and I knew God was, was calling me to, to, to be a different person, to be a different way. Why? Because he says in his word that if anyone be in Christ Jesus, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. Well, that was true for my spirit, man. But as far as my body, as far as my mind, as far as my desires, I still was desiring things in my life that were part of my old life and I was caught in that in between and so because I was caught in that in between it was it was take two good steps take uh, forward take three steps backwards it was you know I'd, I'd do good as long as I was around the church and I was around Christians but then when I went to work or when I got around my buddies or you know stuff like that I would take those three steps backwards and it was just this push and pull back and forth back and forth well in that process of that time stuff just was not I mean I got to a point where I had absolutely no faith that anything good was ever going to work out for me. Everything was always wrong. A hundred people could work the same problem the same way and it would come out right and I would work the, that same problem the same way and it would be wrong for me. Anybody ever been in a place like that? I remember I had a, um, an old 85 Camaro when I was in high school and that was my car. And it was a good car, and I, I was very appreciative of it, but um, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, um, I didn't go to high school in the 80s. I was, I was born in the 80s, and so um, it, although it was a nice car, it was an 85, and, and this was 99. You understand? You know where I'm going with this? So sometimes the air worked, and sometimes the air didn't. And sometimes this worked, and sometimes that didn't. And then there was this thing that I didn't know because I was a young guy, and I didn't really grow up around someone teaching me how to work on stuff. But it had a starter problem. I, I had no idea. The day that I discovered that a large flathead screwdriver is your absolute best friend when you have a bad starter. I didn't know that. So there were times where I wasn't doing right. And I remember one day I was, I was, uh, I was skipping school. And um, I was out on the loop. And, um, and, I, and my car died on me. And when it died, like, it was just, it was just a crapshoot. I mean, it didn't, like, sometimes it would start, you know, sometimes it started work, sometimes it didn't. And so it died on me, and, 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 and thankfully, when it died on me, I just kind of coasted aside, so I'm sitting on the side of the road during school hours, mind you, and it's right by the school, and everybody knows who you are, and so I'm out there, and they had truancy officers and everything like that, and so I'm trying to start the car, and the car won't start. And I'm telling this, this simple story, and it sounds stupid to me even hearing it, but I'm telling you, this is how it can work on all different levels. I literally thought, because I was doing wrong, that God was keeping my car from starting. No. What was keeping my car from starting is that that starter was put on that car in 1985, and it was 1999. But in my mind, I'm doing wrong, and so God's punishing me. 
And, and, and I know because I know we're sitting in a place and every one of us have been not living right for God or not doing what we're supposed to be doing. And all this stuff starts coming against us. Stuff starts breaking down uh, around you and, and relationships are breaking down and, and you're not working real well with your boss and, 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 and stuff is wearing out. And we think, man, God is just on my case like that. God would never do that. God does not put you in miserable places because of your disobedience and selfishness. Listen. Your decisions carve out a path that leads you into a place of misery. Your selfish decisions is what carves out that path. We talked about the prodigal son on and off during this message. How he was living it up in his father's house. He was blessed. He could, he could basically have whatever he wanted and do whatever he wanted in the kingdom. But that wasn't enough for him because he was selfish. He wanted all of his stuff. It's mine. Father, you said it was mine. And I want my, he wanted his inheritance now. I'm fully convinced that his descendants are the ones who created that commercial. It's my money and I want it now. That's got to be his descendants. But that's what it was. it was. He said, it's my money and I want it now. So his father gave it to him. He didn't go do what was right with it. So he lost his relationship with his father, not because his father wanted him to, find, to, to go into that misery, not because his father wanted that disobedience, not because his father didn't want relationship, but his father knew enough about it to know, I can't control my son, and so I kind of have to give him what's his. I told him it was his. So look, here's your inheritance. He took all of his inheritance, which was, was probably half of the kingdom, because he had another son, so at least we know he had two sons. And one of them was going to get half, and the other one was going to get half. Or however they divvied it up, but I guarantee it was not a small chunk. So he takes it, he has enough to go live how he wants to. And at first, it works out. He's probably got lots of friends. He brought, probably bought himself a real nice apartment. He's partying all the time, but as the money is going, so are the relationships, so are the friends, so is the stuff, until finally he finds himself one day, and the Bible says he came to himself, and what made him come to himself was a place of misery. Did the father put him in that miserable place? No, he put himself in that miserable place because of his selfish ambition. The Bible says he came to himself, and when he came to himself, the first thing he thought of was not how mad my father must be at me, but how good his father was to even the servants of the kingdom. And he thought to himself, he says, well, I've, I've already ruined my sonship. Much like Peter probably thought when he saw Jesus resurrected that he had ruined his discipleship program. <laughs> uh, Jesus doesn't want me anymore. He might have had plans for me, but he doesn't want me anymore because of all the things that I've done and I've betrayed him. The prodigal son thought the same thing. My father doesn't want me as a son anymore, but maybe, just maybe I can convince him to let me be a servant in his kingdom and I'll be the best servant because right now I'm sitting here in a hog pen and I'm only getting to eat the scraps that they leave me and even the servants of my father's house, they, at least they get fresh bread and at least they get uh, some stuff that, that uh, you know, it's way better than this. But what it, to his surprise is when he made that turn, and the father could see him, the Bible says, from a long way off. 
He didn't have to wait to come up the driveway and come into the house and find his father and dad, I need to sit down and talk to you. I got some things to discuss. And the dad wasn't like, yeah, you're right. I, don't even, I can't even believe you show your face around here after what you did with all my money. That was not how it went. It says the father saw him coming from a long way off. He begins to order his servants, get the fatted calf, get the robe, get the ring. Why? Not because this low life is coming up the road that uh, I don't even know if I want to lay because my son has come home. And that's how God sees you. Even if you never really left your place or your position physically, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced in, in a small town especially, most people know how to maintain their physical, visual place in a community. All the while, spiritually and in your heart, you've left the place of serving God. You're living in a, in a dark place. You're living in a, a miserable place. Even if you can maintain the same face in the community. It's, it's not hard. You say, I don't know, you haven't been doing it as long as I've been doing it. It's been getting pretty hard for me. No, it's not hard. It happens every day. And that's why when, when things come out, people get really shocked. I don't know about you. And over the last 10 years, I don't know if there's anything that can shock me anymore. Why? Because the Bible prophesies about this time. And, and this time, I want to take a little side journey and we'll get back. But, but in this day and in this age, the Bible says that anything that can be, will be shaken. That there is a great falling away. Why? Because there was a time of mercy. There was a time of grace where God was giving chance after chance after chance after chance after chance. And he still gives chances until the Lord Jesus himself comes back. There's a chance. But it's getting so narrow. What did Jesus say about the gate into the kingdom of heaven? It is narrow. He says it's actually easier for the, a camel to go through than eye of a needle. And I don't have time to preach that. But if you can imagine an eye of a needle and how streamlined that's, that gets, it doesn't matter how many people are out here waiting in line to go through that narrow gate. As we funnel down to that gate, it's knocking off, it's knocking off people who are not true hearted. Now there's still a chance. You still got time. And that's why I think messages like this are important. It's time to come back, not just to a seat, not just to a physical location, but it's time to come back in your heart and restore that relationship with God. And it's also time for those that maybe you've, you've not really left the same relationship that you've had with God, but it's maybe time for you to take a step up with your relationship with God and get out of the complacency that you've been in. Is this okay? So we talked about the prodigal son, and in that, the father didn't put him in the pig pen. 
It was his own choices and direction in life that led him to that place, but the father was there waiting to make him, to help him make his comeback. So over the past several weeks, we've been analyzing and, and the amazing, and I say amazing because they pretty are, amazing failures and comebacks, one, one of the most famous characters in the Bible, and that's Peter. His amazing comeback be, uh, came because of his re- recognition that Jesus loved him and that he loved Jesus. His comeback was made possible because of Jesus' mercy. To, see, if God doesn't have mercy towards us, then a comeback is impossible. So the, the, Peter's comeback, and, we, and again, if you've missed these ser- sermons, go back and listen. But Peter's comeback came, first of all, because Jesus gave, showed him mercy. Right? That was Jesus showing him mercy when he went and found him. Peter was hiding. He was out fishing. And when he got up on the, on the seashore, he tried to elude him. He tried to just kind of skirt him. He really didn't want to get on a one-on-one conversation. But finally, Jesus cornered him up, got him in a one-on-one conversation. And so it was, it was Jesus' mercy that opened the door to that, that repentance and that comeback. But it was Peter's ability to humble himself and to admit that he loved God. His comeback was made possible because of Jesus' mercy towards him and Peter's willingness to repent. Again, I'm going to say I want to make repentance a good word again because I think that repentance is a wonderful thing. How many have ever, and you can raise your hand on this because I think it would be kind of fun, how many have ever gotten in a knockdown, drag-out fight with your spouse? You just gotten one right here in the middle of church. How many of you hated the feeling of being out of unity with your spouse? What did it take to get back in unity with your spouse? And if you have not gotten there, I'm going to show you how to get back in. It took humility. Because either you had to admit you're wrong, or you had to admit it don't matter who's wrong, but we've got to make this right. Now, how awesome of a feeling is it when you get back in unity with your spouse? You know those fights where nobody wants to talk to each other? Those fights where doors get slammed louder and louder because you're wanting them to ask what's wrong? Because you are ready I'll tell you what's wrong. I will tell you what's wrong. I've told this story before. That, that, that's that's kind of me, and I've learned to stop doing that. And when, I'm not, when I wasn't happy years ago, when I wasn't happy with whatever, you know, I would, I would, I would be passive-aggressively stomping or slamming door or huffing and turning over in the middle of the night. And I'm just waiting on Christy to say, what's wrong? And I'm, I'll tell you what's wrong. And either she was so oblivious or she was so smart, she never asked me. So I just make me matter. But when, when, you, when you know that you're at odds with your spouse, it's a terrible feeling. And yes, there's a, on one hand, you want to prove your point and you want to be right. But on the other hand, it begins to weigh on you to a point where it doesn't matter who's right. We're both wrong because we're not in unity. 
So it takes humility on one person or both persons' part, and then somebody or both parties have to repent. And then when you do, this grace comes back into your marriage, this love comes back into your marriage, this joy comes back into your life. Repentance is a wonderful thing. I think we ought to practice it more. If you're at odds with someone in your life, it might be a boss or maybe an employee or something like that. You can waste the next week, two weeks, month, year skirting around them, being passive aggressive or having fights after fights and then eventually you don't even know why you're fighting. Or you could simply repent. Repentance is just coming back to the relationship and saying, I'm sorry, I want to do whatever it takes to make it right. And you say, well, you don't know the person I'm fighting. Yeah, I know. And if they don't want to make it right, you made your end right. That's all you can do. And go on. But repentance is a wonderful thing. It's a turning back. A recognition that you've been wrong. And you've gone the wrong direction. And your way has led you to an unproductive, unsuccessful, and unfulfilled place in life. Peter denied Christ three times and Jesus restores him. Not with punishment or guilt or shame or condemnation, but with his mercy and a question that he already knew the answer to. But he needed Peter to hear himself say it. And that question was, Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. Jesus wasn't asking Peter, do you love me? Because Jesus was insecure about Peter's affection towards him. Jesus is not insecure. Jesus wasn't asking Peter, well, Peter, do you even love me? That was not it. He already knew the answer. He just needed Peter to answer that question for himself. Peter, he needed Peter to hear himself answer, but his answer wasn't a guilt trip from Jesus either. You know, a lot of people ask you, do, they, do you love me? And it's because it's, it's a guilt trip. Well, if you loved me, you would. Do you even love me? How could you love me? How could you say you love me and do A, B, or C? That wasn't Jesus' motive. It wasn't a guilt trip from Jesus. It was a, listen to this, it was a channel to get Peter to the purpose of his comeback. It was a channel. The motive, Peter, do you love me? It was not Jesus guilt tripping Peter. It was not Jesus' way of showing Peter how wrong he had been. It was a way, it was a channel to get Peter to a comeback so that he could get him on his purpose again. The mark of a true comeback is not that you just tell Jesus that you love him. See, because we can leave that right there. We could say, if you want to come back to God, it's real. And I did. I said that last week, and I believe it with my heart, whole heart. It's real simple. It's do you love Jesus? And that is the first part of the comeback. That is the start. That's the humility. That's the repentance. Peter, do you love me? You know that I do, Lord. 
But that's the first part. The mark of a true comeback is not that you just love, or not that you just tell Jesus you love him, but also that now that you say you love him, you're willing to do what he says. That's the other part. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And if the answer is truly yes, then he told him three different things. He said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He says, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. The purpose of your comeback is two parts. One, repentance. Do you love Jesus? And number two, then obey his plan for your life. That was Peter's plan. That's what God needed Peter to do. That's what Jesus needed Peter to do. And Peter was, was back fishing. He was back in the same place that he was in three years prior when Jesus found him. He was fishing. And he had fished all night. He had caught nothing. And again, Peter ran away because he thought, I have ruined whatever this is. First he ran away because he thought this is over. Jesus said he was going to set up a kingdom. I'm watching him die on a cross out there. This is over. And so he begins to deny, deny, deny. And then he finds out Jesus is resurrected. And he's going, guilt, shame, guilt, shame, guilt, shame. I'm not, re- I'm not worthy to be a part of this because I doubted to the point where I actually denied that I even knew him. I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to my old life. The mark of being backslidden in your life, it's not a deep theology. It's that you quite literally begin to go back. You begin to go think back. And then you begin to talk back. Talk about back. And then you begin to act like you were back before you met Jesus. And then you begin to have the life back that you had before you met Jesus. But Jesus didn't want that for Peter and he doesn't want that for you. So therefore he goes and finds us. Jesus is the one who will leave the 99 to go find the one. The one that did what? The one that did what Peter did. He ran off. He went back. Went back to his old life because he thought what I've done is never, ever going to be forgiven, so I might as well go back. And Jesus comes back and he restores him by asking him that question. It's a two-part question. It's a a question and then a command. He says, do you love me? He says, yes, I love you. Then what? Feed my lambs. Do what I ask you to do. Do you love me? Yes. Then tend my sheep. Do what I ask you to do. Do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep. This is how we move forward in our relationship. So the purpose of your comeback is two part. One, to repent. And number two, to obey his plan for your life. If you come back to Jesus with an I love you only and not a change in direction, you'll find yourself back in the same place or worse. Most of the time I've seen people go back to a worse place. They go deeper into that. They get further into it. The key to your comeback that leads to your blessing is your obedience to the will of God for your life. 
the key to your comeback that leads to blessing in your life is your obedience to the will of God in your life. Now, I'm not saying that if you do the will of God, everything is always going to be perfect. Because I will tell you that's not true. But I'll also say that when you're doing the will of God for your life, there is such a grace on your life. There's such a peace, even in the midst of stuff. Because you never feel, me and Christy were talking about this the other day. I said, we can look back on some stuff that was just some really terrible stuff that happened in our life. Terrible things. But we never got stuck in it. And I believe you don't get stuck in it because you're constantly following the will of God. You're constantly tethered to the Lord's will. And the Lord's will is never going to leave you stuck. Your will will leave you stuck. And I can't help it. I I was raised in the country and I love four-wheel drives and all that stuff. But how many of you have ever been stuck? I've been stuck. I I, I dreamed of having a four-wheel drive growing up as a kid because we didn't have four-wheel drives. My four-wheeler wasn't four-wheel drive. My three-wheeler wasn't three-wheel drive. (laughs) Nothing. I mean, I was so desperate, I wanted to get stickers that just said four-wheel drive and put it on my Camaro. I remember one time I got in trouble because I wanted a truck so bad. I was thankful for the car, but I wanted a truck so bad. I wanted a Z71 so bad when I was a kid. There was this long dirt road that I did not have to take to get back home. But when it was muddy, I loved taking it. And I turned that white 85 Camaro into a dirt track car. And I'm telling you, I had a little bit of wide tires on it, and I would run down that road. And my stepdad got so mad at me when he come out there. He was mad. This ain't no four-wheel drive. You're just running the car down. Th-. I mean, it was muddy. You know what I love about a four-wheel drive? Is all the two-wheel drives I've had, I've gotten stuck on wet grass before. Any of you guys ever got stuck on wet grass in a two-wheel drive? Oh, it's frustrating. But if you start slipping in a four-wheel drive, you put it in four-wheel drive, and it just kind of crawls along. You just kind of crawl out. That's the only good way I know how to describe when you're following God's plan for your life. When you do hit those sticky spots in life, because life is going to throw them at you left and right. It's like you might slow down and you might have to take it a little bit more technical, but you never stop. You keep motoring through. You just keep plugging through. But I've also been in places where I wasn't serving God. And when I got stuck, I got stuck. The key to your comeback leading to your blessing is obedience to the will of God for your life. I've got time to do this, but Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Just give me a few more moments. This is one of the most sobering scriptures in the Bible to me. Because it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus, this is red letters. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And he goes on and he says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, watch this, you who practice lawlessness. So there's two key features there that Jesus himself says will literally keep you out of the kingdom of heaven is one, not doing the will of God, and two, I think is just a definition of not doing the will of God is practicing lawlessness. These are people who supposedly call Jesus Lord. But Jesus doesn't recognize them because they called him Lord without being obedient to the will of God. Jesus was their Lord in lip service only. It says they practice lawlessness. I don't believe that this is making simple mistakes. How many of you have made simple mistakes and disobeyed God? I don't believe this is making simple mistakes, but a practicer of willing disobedience to the will of God. A practicer of willing disobedience. I know better, Lord. I know what I... I will call you when I get stuck. I got this. Now, you wouldn't say that because then that would make you sound sacrilegious, especially in small-town Southern America. So we don't say this with our mouth verbally, but we say it in our heart when we don't give over our life to his leading, practicing lawlessness. True salvation comes to your life not by simply asking God to save you, but also by making him Lord of your life. That means making him the leader and the guide of your life, willingly giving over control of the leading of your life to God. The danger of a lip service salvation is that not only can you find yourself in the pig pen of life, but Jesus right here makes a case that you could totally be negated access to the kingdom of heaven by a lip service salvation. The world says that you can do anything you want to do and be anyone you want to be. That's what the world says. Quite literally. But Jesus says, you need to trust in me because I have a plan for your life. That's what Jesus says. He doesn't say you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do. He says, I want to be your leader. I want to be your guide. I want to be your Lord. I've got a plan for your life. Don't fall into that trap of whatever will be, will be type of life. That's another mindset. Well, whatever's going to happen is what's going to happen. You have to believe for the will of God being done in your life. You have to contend for the will of God being done in your life. You have to fight the good fight of faith. And you have to submit to God for his will to be done in your life. Not submit to a congregation or, or, or denomination. Not to submit to me as a pastor. No, listen, I, I don't know the will of God for your life. I know it's found in the word of God. I know it's found in prayer. 
But a lot of churches, a lot of denominations, a lot of church leaders have gotten it wrong because they say, I know, how, I know what the will of God is for your life. They've messed up people too doing that. And people have put their trust in someone to just tell me what I wish. I wish that was true. I remember as a young minister, I probably would have been so messed up. And, and but thankfully, I had men of God around me that when I would say, "Just tell me what I'm supposed to do for God," they say, "Oh no, 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 I'm not doing that." Because when it don't work out, you're going to come to me and say, "Why didn't it work out?" He said, "You need to find." The will of God for your life. And I'll tell you the same thing. I can help you. I can show you scripture. I can show you what to do. But it's, I, I don't, I'm not the one who tells you what the will of God is for you. If you're needing a comeback in your life, it's for something far greater than you just feeling all warm and fuzzy again with the Lord. I know that's great. That's good. But it's something far greater than that. It's so that God can use you in mighty ways for the kingdom of God. He said, Peter, do you love me? And when he said, you know I love you, Lord, he says, then obey my will for your life. That's essentially what he said. Obey my will for your life. So I always like to see where we start. So where do, where do we start today? First, you start with repentance. It's a good thing. Get back right. Then you turn back to God. Turn back to him by spending time in prayer, spending time in his word, getting reconnected with his heart and his will. Then listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Begin to say these things. This is all scriptural, but begin to say this. Begin to say, I know the voice of my shepherd and the voice of a stranger I won't follow. Begin to say this. God knows the plans that he has for me and they're good plans. Begin to say this, God, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Begin to say this, I can know the will of God for my life and I have faith to follow it. Begin to say this, all things work together for my good because I love God. If you begin to say that and you begin to believe that, you begin to contend for the will of God being done in your life, you'll begin to see how the path that really leads to destruction is a path full of selfish ambition, but the path that leads to the place where really you're wanting to get, where there's that peace, there's that love, there's that joy in your life, there's fulfillment in your life, is when you give over control to you, from, of your life to the Word of God and to the Holy Spirit. And begin to allow Him to lead you. I don't have time to get into this scripture, but if you, if you want to... Um, if you want to go back and read 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12, 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12 for yourself, it just says that eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither is entered enter the heart of man those, uh, those things that God has prepared for those who love him. But he has revealed them to us by his spirit. And so what it talks about is there's things that God has not shown you with your physical eyes or let you hear with your physical ears and that nobody else knows about but that he knows about for your life. And that he's able to show you these things in the spirit. You say, how do I do that? By prayer, by spending time with him. How do you get to know anything about anybody? By spending time. You know, that's one of the things that I love most about being a pastor. Even though I like seeing you guys on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and, and different things like that. And I like saying hi in the lobby. But there's only so much I can get to know you in the two seconds that I have to come by and say, hey, how are you doing? And for that reason, 
there's a lot of surface relationships that I have with several people just because we haven't been able to be put in a position where I can really get to know you. But how many of you know there's a difference between the people you pass by every day that you have two seconds for and then the people that you sit down with and you have a conversation? That's why I love times where I have the opportunity to sit down one-on-one with different people because you get to know them. You get to hear their heart. You get to see what God's doing in their life or maybe even a need that they have. In the same way, if you're giving God a two-second, hey, Lord, I love you, you're never going to know his heart and his plan for your life. That takes time. That takes time in his presence. And if you're worried about the way God is going to treat you, because maybe you've been away, maybe you've done things that you know you're not proud of, and you think by coming into his presence, I'm going to have to deal with all that, I will promise you this. God dealing with that, if you want to call it that way in your life, is going to take that long. Just like he did with Peter, he's going to say, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Okay. Well, let's talk about your future then. Let's talk about the plans that I have for you. Let's build this relationship. Let's hang out more. Let's talk more. Get, get in my word. Get to know me. And then allow my Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be led in the plan of God for your life. Amen. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.